Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. It, it takes a team to run a church, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm in my fifth year here at Vanguard now, and rarely do I get up in the morning on Sunday now and feel like I have to do something. I mean, get to do something, right? Get to do something. Because um, we get up on Sunday and we go, well, let's just hang out with Kofax, our little mini Labradoodle, and uh, see how he's doing. Get Wife gets the coffee. We just mosey on a walk maybe, and then we'll go to church and just be and just like just like just go to church and that's great and I I applaud that is wonderful cuz I just need to go to church on Sunday to get filled myself um and so but pastor Jeff I want to honor him he he said hey uh I'm going to be gone I need you to cover I'm like okay you got it coach put me in I'm ready I'm ready ready to play today um so I am thankful for authentic church actually 6 months ago this weekend I was here with you, and uh, Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma was here with you as well, and he did an amazing job. So that's literally six months ago this weekend. So we hung out six months ago together, and so here we, I, maybe we could do this every six months. Maybe it'll be a cool thing. So I'll see you in March. Um, how many Vanguard students we have here this morning? Raise your hand. Hey, uh, Sarah, I'm going to assign you to this task. If you could, if you want chapel credit today, because I'm here, you can have it. Sarah will take your ID number and your name down. That old, listen, don't come next Sunday going, well, I got it last week. I know precedence, all that. This isn't a legal firm. This is just me giving a dispensation of grace today. That's it. Today only. That's the deal I'm offering. It's because I'm preaching and because I'm, as my sister here said, this is quite a mouthful. Because I'm that guy, you get chapel credit. All right, there we go. Sweet. Okay, so Vanguard students, hook that up with Sarah right here. Sarah, wave your hand again. Sarah will help you out. Thank you, Sarah. You didn't know I was going to put you on work today. Sorry. Sorry. Be ready in season, out of season. And if you knew scripture in that one, you'd say, well, Pastor Mike, that's to preach the word. Are you letting me preach today, Pastor Mike? Yeah. No, but you, she did preach last week, and I hear she did great in this room. So, yes, we let our team do that. And we do have a team. I want to thank Evan and and uh, Dolu, where you? There you are. And dude, come on, you guys brought it. I mean, authentic people, Isaac alum. But just want to say thanks to our team that did that. Well, hey, thanks, Pastor Jeff. I honor you guys. And you know, at the risk of, um, well, here the thing is, if people know who know me, Vanguard people, they know I love Captain America. So if you put me with Iron Man and Team Cap, I'm Team Cap all the way, all day, every day. If you're Team Iron Man, I respect that. But I'm going to totally deviate off of all of that, and I'm going to ask you guys to pay attention to these video screens as they play a clip. Go ahead and roll that thing. Anduril, a flame of the West, forged from the shards of Narsil.
more deadly than any that walks this earth. Put aside the ranger. Become who you are born to be. Take the demolved road. All right. That's great. Thank you. There were some, obviously, some theatrical echoes there. Even better. Thank you for that. That was amazing special effects. Um, become who you were born to be. Today's message, if you're taking notes, because um, I don't know if people do that anymore. We are at a university, though, so I encourage it. Uh, it's revealed. We're going to be coming out of Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, in a few moments here. We're going to talk about revealed identity, our identity in Christ. Who we are is important, because to know who you are, you need to know whose you are, who we belong to. See, God has given us volition as human beings. That means we are able to choose daily, when we wake up, what we will do. God does not make you do stuff. And in the same way, Satan does not make you do stuff. You have freedom of choice. It's called volition. And so in that volition, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm the master of my own destiny. And that's why you have atheists, agnostics, people of all sorts of different persuasions. And then even in the church at times, we think we are the masters of our own destiny. The truth is, we gave up rights to ourselves. Now... Do we try and take those rights back at times? I'll be honest. Yeah, I do. <laughs> in my flesh, in my desire to prove myself, to, to make myself uh, feel better about whatever it is. Um, we try and man our own or woman our own destiny, so to speak. But in this segment, it's from Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Perhaps, not perhaps, I would say it's in my top three favorite movies of all time. Um, who we are now is in large part dictated by who we were, that is our past experience, or who we perceive ourselves to be or to have been. And this is illustration, it's, it's not a perfect metaphor or illustration, but it's only partial, in that God has granted us a more lasting and true identity in Christ. I love the storyline here, where if you don't know the story, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, by the way, you, you need to, it's pretty good. Don't start with... Um, I mean, you can go all the way back to The Hobbit and watch all the way through to The Fellowship of the Ring, but don't start with the last one. You need to go through it all. It's, it's really good stuff. Or read the books. It's re even better. And, but you got Aragorn here who is not wanting to walk into his destiny to be king. And then you got Elrond the elf here bringing out the sword of Elendil from way back in ancient times. If you know the storyline, it's pretty cool. If you don't know, you're like, wow, that just sounds cool that you said Elendil. Do it again, Mufasa. Ooh, do it again. I'm going to tell a few jokes along the way, so if you want to keep going, then laugh, humor me, and we'll keep going from there. Or amen. Amen works as well. And so you have this storyline where Aragorn has fought off his true identity as king long enough, and now his identity is to be realized. And I think that's what God is asking us. I think at the point of salvation, it's like God takes the sword and says, become who you were born to be. The sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God, the rhema of God. The logos is the written word, but it's also referred to as a double-edged sword, dividing truth from lie, bone from marrow, spirit from flesh. It lets us know God's 
purpose for our lives, the word of God. And that's the point of salvation. You can't come to salvation if you have not heard of God. And you can't hear of God unless his word came forth through somebody. This is in Romans 10. How will they know of the one whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will someone tell them unless they are sent? That's the logic of Paul in Romans chapter 10. And so the message of the word of God, the sword of God, his word, comes to our hearts and reveals to us who we are meant to be in Christ. A lot of times I think sometimes we just want a self-help positivity experience. Just give me what I, I need to do or what is my destiny on life and then I'll die. No, no. Your destiny is in Christ. Because in Christ means your destiny does not end when you breathe your last breath, should the Lord not return in our lifetime. Your destiny means everything you do in this life matters. And if I could quote another great movie, Gladiator, what we do in this life echoes into eternity. In Christ. So let's open the word, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. And so I'm just going to ask if you have that slide, go ahead and put that up there. Michaela, I think I have a slide. Yeah. So here we go. I'm reading from NLT. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And, how, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that, it, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. In the NIV it says he put his seal on you. Same word seal here is used in the NIV and the New King James. By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So may God bless not just the reading of his word, but as it goes into our hearts to bear fruit. So as we witness in the Lord of the Rings clip, knowing our identity is a major part of living our lives. Without having that purpose to go forward, people will be relegated to depression and anxiety because now you're anxious about trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. And, and you're depressed because you don't know who you are and why you exist. I'm not saying that's the source of all depression and anxiety, but a lot of it comes out of that. I know, been there, done that. God delivered me from depression and anxiety. Here at Vanguard when I was 19 years old, I was prayed over, and I had to work out my own salvation, too, with fear and trembling. But God came through and revealed, and I began to see his purpose for my life. And I knew, even when I was a history poli sci major here and went on to work in the United States Senate, that God was going to put me in ministry. And he did. I couldn't escape it. Thankfully, he didn't have to use a fish and suck me up and spit me out on the shore. But I went to Washington, D.C., and it's like being in the belly of a fish in and of itself. I digress. But... God brought me back to California, and I got, that's where I met my wife. My wife, Robin, is back there, by the way. There she is. Say hi. And then Michaela is coming back in, and Rayma, my daughters. And Caleb, I admit, I confess to you, he's on a travel ball team, and so he's playing baseball right now, not too far from here. He's our 11-year-old. I'll tell more about that in a moment. 
So, identity is who you are, or is it? Meaning, do you truly know who you are? I'm asking you guys that question. You don't need to answer, but do you truly know who you are in Christ? The answer to this question is found in knowing who's you or I, who we are first, or whose we are first. So let's dig into Ephesians 1, 9 14 as we just read it and go on an identity search. Sound like a good plan? We're going to do an identity search. In order to fully understand our revealed identity in Christ as God intended us to, there's a few things. So here's the main points. Point number one, it's a mouthful, but you'll get it. God's plan is for his pleasure, and that is good for us. God's plan, his good plan, is for his pleasure, and that is good for us. Because when God is pleased, good is the result. Does that make sense? So uh, we, we just totally skipped what conventional wisdom would say, like, no, wait, isn't God's plan for me to figure out his plan for my life? No. His plan, according to this passage, is for his pleasure, his goodness, his reality. I know, this sounds so cosmic killjoy of God, right? Like, well, that's, that's not what I expected, I want to be like Aragorn. Where's my sword? I want to go out and kill Sauron and defeat evil hordes of Mordor. I want to do great things for the Lord. And you will. But first, we need to realize that his plan is for his pleasure. That if we truly are to be free from our own selfishness, our own pride, our own lust, and other vices that we hold, we must yield and give up what we want before anything else. Even amoral things. God wants all of our heart, not just part. That's why his, his purpose is for his pleasure, because our pleasure ends in destruction. And so we have to realize it's, it's a God-centered gospel, not a human-centered gospel. Too often we think it's about us. Now, did God so love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Yeah, for sure. But remember, John 3, 16 is only a culmination, a manifestation of Isaiah 53, where it says it pleased God to crush Christ. It, it brought God pleasure to kill his own son so that we might be saved. And so it goes back to the pleasure of God, that it was for his glory that Jesus came. And that's what he even says in this last verse in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14 he did this so we would praise and glorify him. That's why he sent Jesus. Not so you feel good, not even for your own joy, but so that we would praise and glorify him because if we truly praise and glorify him, we're gonna have fullness of joy. If we truly praise and glorify him, we're gonna have fulfillment in who we are and whose we are if we're truly praising God. You ever been in the presence of God, maybe even this morning, team did a good job, where you're just singing how great thou art, even in the old English. And just, and in those moments, God reveals himself to you in unique ways, to you as an individual, but also maybe gives you a vision of himself. Maybe he says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever happens, you're communing with God for his glory. And so when he's glorified, he's going to reveal himself to you. And if he reveals himself to you, that's a good thing. Because a clear definition of Jesus will bring clarity to your life. And that's why I think so often the world and even some in the church don't get it. We just walk around going, well, I, I just don't know. It's like, did, did you not just hear? Did, did you not just hear what the preacher said or what, what the Bible said? 
And the truth is, there's times we're just not listening. And that's where we gotta pray. And we, like, I love that Pastor Jeff's gonna start this series on prayer. Do you know God's moving the prayer thing specifically within the campus of Vanguard? It was a few months ago, uh, at the end of the semester last spring, that uh, I decided that we were gonna, as a team, go through a book called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting by Derek Prince. And I didn't know what that was gonna bring. And then a student that's not on our team said, hey, Pastor Mike, can we meet before school starts? I said, yeah, sure, chance. And he's like, God's moving my heart in prayer. I'm like, awesome. They're starting this pre-shine on Wednesday night prayer time. They had it in here, actually, last Wednesday. And it's student-led. And then Pastor Jeff's like, hey, I need an early morning prayer time. Can you get that for me? I'm like, let me work my magic here. You know? But there's a prayer thing happening. And, and I feel that's one of the areas I feel connected to authentic church. Is like God's doing something with all of us. And we get to ride this wave together. There's a connection, not just as believers together, but... God's plan is for his pleasure, and that is a good thing for us. Here's another one. If, you weren't, if you're not convinced yet, you want me to bring some more scripture? Good, because it's coming. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But notice what it says. Delight yourself where? In the Lord. In Christ. And then what follows is he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because he's going to transform your heart and your desires are going to transform. And by the time you get to the place of getting your desires of your heart after you've delighted in him, the desires that you once had are no longer there because now the new desires God has given you will be the desires you have because it's good from him. Now, if something you're like, but I really wanted that new truck remains after you delight yourself in the Lord, maybe he'll give you that. I don't know. He's good that way. <laughs> Some of you are like, amen. Amen, pastor. That's a good word. Glory to God. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 has something to add about this idea of delighting ourselves in the Lord. Okay, this is a New Testament version, so follow me on this. He said this in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, good, I have it there. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Mm, well, <laughs> amen. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Whoa, Paul doesn't just say, here's what's going to happen. He says, stay away from them. Well, how do we reach the world? Because that sounds like the world. Yes, at the same time, we don't associate in a way that they then, we conform to the pattern of the world, but we transform with the renewing of our minds. So we still have to evangelize. We still have to preach the word, but we're not to bind our hearts with this kind of spirit. Does that make sense? And so why do I point that out? Because we see Paul's prophecy, I think, if, if, if you're paying attention, it's coming true right before our very eyes. One of my most favorite encounters, it's weird because you'd think that's crazy talk, is when I converse with an atheist, I love it. Because I'm so confident in the intelligent designer, a.k.a. God, that there's no way an atheist can prove their point because basically what they're saying is there is no God. And I have to say, prove it. You can't prove it because you'd have to be all-knowing to know that there is no God. 
So really, it's better to just say, I don't know. But this pride that 2 Timothy 3 speaks of leads the way. So an atheist gets lost in their own pride because their pride says there is no God. Well, how do you know that? I don't. I'm just going to say it because that's what I want to say. Because I reject God. Okay, you can reject God, but you can't say he doesn't exist. Because you'd have to know everything to know that. It's really simple logic, but know this. The, the Bible says also in Corinthians, Paul says this, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever, meaning they cannot understand spiritual things. And that's why even in the church, we cannot let our minds and our hearts go to things that would be ungodly because we too can be, can then become blinded by our own arrogance, our own pride in ourselves and our own desires. And that's why... To know who you are in Christ, first seek the pleasure of God because then you get all the junk of you out of the way. That's what this passage is teaching us. Okay, I'm not done with this point yet, but we're going to keep trucking here. The rich young ruler, he said this in, um, to Jesus. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments, Jesus told him. Okay, this is in Mark chapter 10, verse 20. Since I was young... Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So Jesus has compassion for this guy, okay? He's a rich dude. So this is where people are like, you know, Jesus hating on rich people. That, that is not biblical. And, and if you've ever hated a rich person, you're not being like Jesus because right here it says he loved the rich young ruler. <laughs> Don't hate rich people just because they're rich. Jesus didn't, so neither should you or I. Just say it. And, and really what we do is we, we dislike them because we're jealous. Now, if you're a rich person... I ain't jealous. God bless you, dude. Dudette. Praise God. Give your tithe to the church. Pastor Jeff will appreciate it. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. Jesus will too. Um, so here's the thing, though. He said, he, he, Jesus said this to him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. See, God asked this ruler to yield his riches because they defined him in his work, in his social status, and all the things. Some people, you're rich because you're a giver, and you just keep giving, and so God, you, you can't, God will just keep giving to you because you just keep giving out. You keep pouring out, and God will keep pouring in. That's the way it works with you and God. That's awesome. Praise God. You have the gift of giving. This guy wasn't that guy or gal. This guy identified with his riches, with his position, and Jesus is saying, let go of that. Let go of your pleasure to bring glory to God. And in essence, challenging him, like, see what I'll do with that. But the rich young ruler couldn't get beyond his identity in himself and his own stuff. And so he went away sad because his identity, it shows his identity was in his stuff and his accomplishments, not in what could have been with Christ. And so don't let your stuff and your desires for what you want get in the way of following Jesus faithfully and fully. This is not me saying, give away everything. This was between the rich young ruler and Jesus. God has different levels of, hey, do this for all of us. Peter, he said to Jesus after he rose from the dead, um, Jesus said, hey, you're going you're gonna to go and um, you're going to be exposed to things you don't want to be. And, and people are going to dress you and you're not going to have the things that you want in this way. And, and Peter says, what about the rest of the disciples? Jesus said, don't worry about them. I'm telling you what's for you. This is for you, Peter. You're going to have to do things that I want you to do that I'm not telling John to do. Don't worry. He's going to get boiled in oil and then have the revelation. And that's for him. He didn't say that, but that's what we know about John the Beloved, that he lived on the island of Patmos and 
God used him that way. God used each of the disciples differently. He has different commands that are associated with his great commands of following him faithfully, but specific instructions for each of us as he reveals himself to us as we find our identity in him. Does that make sense? That's why it's so important for us to really go, okay, God, what do you want from me? Well, it starts with denying ourselves. It starts with finding pleasure in him first, and that's good for us. That's my main point on that one. I can go on on that. So what's God's pleasure? Well, I just said it, to reveal his plan. It says it in the passage. He wants to reveal his plan to us. That, he takes pleasure in that, revealing his plan. Andrew Murray said this. He's an author, Christian author. Why does God love us? God loves you not because you are clever, not because you are good, but because he's your father. That's why he loves you. And I guarantee God does not love me because of my skill as an orator. Uh, I love my wife, and she'll let me know, hey, here's where you can improve. And it's like a relationship thing we have, and I'm not joking with this. She will. She'll let me know where I can do better. Um, Because my skill level is yet to grow. So my greatness is not in my oration skills. It's not my intelligence. My son is smarter than me. We just got him a Rubik's Cube. The kid figured it out legitimately in less than 24 hours. Me, Rubik's Cube, back in the day when we had them, for you older people, they had stickers. (laughs) Done! (laughs) I've never solved a Rubik's Cube. My son did it in less than 24 hours. He is way more intelligent than I could ever hope to be. He's going to be a rocket scientist or something. Well, his grandpa was a rocket scientist before he passed away, worked on space shuttle and stuff like that. So maybe it's in the blood on Robin. This is Robin's side of the family, mind you, not mine. Mine's more preachers, music people, and all that. That's great, cool, too. So he's a genius. The kid's a genius. It's not because of my good looks, as many may, you know, no, really it is. No, no, it's not. Or even the sum of my actions, which can be very disobedient at times. Jesus loves me. God loves me because the Father God loves me because he is my Father. I'm still learning what this means. But I'll tell you, as I get older and as I'm a father longer to my three kids, and now our, I know it's stupid to call your furball a, a child, but he's like a little toddler. Koufax is like a little furball toddler. He is. I mean, I love the guy. He's just a, oh, I love Koufax. But I'm learning what it means that God's, it's like he doesn't love us because of what we do or what we have. He just does because he's our father. And if you've ever been a dad or you are a dad, I think you know what I mean. Your kids, do you get mad at them? Yes. Holy cow, Yes. Do I need to discipline them? Absolutely. When they don't do the dishes? Mm-hmm. When they talk back? Oh, that. But does it change my love for them? Not a chance. My love does not stop where my anger begins. <laughs> and it keeps going. Thankfully, the love overrides anger. I find pleasure in my three kids, like I said. Michaela, who's right? Hi, Michaela. She's 16. She is a Calvary Chapel high school student, 11th grade. She was selected as the chaplain over her peers. She's basically students of Vanguard, like the lead chaplain. She was selected by the, the teachers and stuff to do that um, over the chapels at Calvary Chapel. She's a leader, and I saw when she was a little person, like leading her Noah and her little peers when they were like one-year-old. She's always the leader of the pack. Um, whether that was good or bad, she was leading the pack. Um, she just got her permit. Uh, she's got that the other day. Good job, Michaela. It's her third try, and she did it. She set out to do it. We came to Shine. I think Shine did something for her. 
She went, we went to Shine. We studied before Shine, worshiped a little bit. She went and took the test, and she got it. It was good. It's good. Uh, she's got her first job. Proud of you, Michaela. I'm just going to speak that over you. Um, and then Rayma, I've got a, a story that she wrote. She put those slides up. I just want to, I don't know if you remember this, Rayma. This is called The Sunset. I'm going to read it. It's by Rayma. She's our creative in the, in the three kids. The Sunset by Rayma. No, go back, go back, go back. Illustrated by Rayma. So she's both the illustrator and the writer. Continue. Chapter one. As upon a time, there was a girl who was love sunsets. She would look at them. She would never go to bed. She just stood up. Next slide. Sunset. Continue. Continue. But the next day at night, there w- I think Michaela added the, the corrections. That's what Michaela does for her sister. Isn't that so nice of Michaela? There was no sunset. She was sad. She just, I love the backwards J. That is my favorite. She just couldn't go to slip. She just couldn't stop thinking about the sunset. Continue. Chapter backwards two. Gotta love it. She thought and thought, but she couldn't know where the sun was. It was black. Great illustration. And the next day and the next day, she was sad. Wouldn't she? Californians, we like the sun, don't we? Can we relate to this story? I think we can. She said, what if I never see the sunset again? She was very sad. She was very sad. She couldn't go to school or slip. I mean, this is depression, y'all. We're going through a dark thing in this story. Chapter backwards three. Love it. She was a grown up, but so she grew up. Skipping, skipping, skipping. But she was still sad. She still lacked sunsets. Okay. And it got brighter timey. So the sun came up. I I can't really, I don't even know what she's saying. Oh, it got bigger each time. Oh, so the sun is rising. Hope in the story. This is redemption, y'all. This is Jesus. Go. The sun set. And there it is by Rhema. Isn't that good? Good job, Rhema. Why did I show that? Partly because I just, I'm her dad and I love her. And I, I don't, I think what you were four or something maybe when you wrote that. Four or five maybe. But good work. Uh, so she's our creative, and I already mentioned Caleb. He's our little genius, baseball-playing machine. Love that guy. But God loves you because he's your father. So what is God's plan? Okay, so we're still in point one. Don't worry, I'm going to breeze through the last few points. Don't worry, we got this. So what is his plan? Verse 10 in, the, in Ephesians 1, it says this, to bring everything together under the authority of Christ. There that word, in Christ, everything in Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And I mentioned Isaiah 53, 10, and then in LT it says this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, that is Jesus, and cause him grief. What? It was God's good plan to crush his own son and cause his own son grief? I don't want to do that to my son. I don't want to cause my son grief. 
And yet that's what God says here. The word says, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So God's looking beyond the momentary suffering of his own son and seeing the great eternal reward that Jesus will bring through his sacrifice on the cross. So the New King James says, in place of good plan, for NLT it says this, Pleasure, it brought him pleasure, it brought God pleasure. So that's, there's that word again, pleasure. It's God's pleasure that he be glorified. It's God's pleasure that we see Jesus. Do you want to know what the word means in Hebrew? Pleasure. It means pleasure and the will of God, meaning God set out willingly to plan this whole thing out. When God does a work, it is good, and his good plan brings him pleasure to see it through. That's why in this first point that I stated that we, God's God's plan is for his pleasure, and that is good for us because Jesus. If it, wasn't, if it didn't bring God pleasure to crush his own son, then that's not good for us because there is no sacrifice for our sins then. Do you see the theological connection? I need you to go on this theological journey with me. I'm weaving back in the Old Testament, and I'm going to bring it back to the New Testament. But we have to go back to that place to capture what God intended from the beginning of time, all the way even to Genesis 3, when he told Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And he's talking about and that though his heel would be bruised, that is the seed of the woman, he would crush the serpent's head. So in other words, it was prophesied that Jesus would suffer. The seed of the woman, the one offspring, the Messiah would suffer, but he would not be destroyed. He would destroy rather this, the enemy of our soul, Satan. That's why it got, brought God pleasure because he saw this whole thing playing out. He saw that the sun would set again or rather rise. He saw all this thing happening when we are in our darkest hour and there are things that seem dark and it brings us depression, it brings us discouragement. God's saying, no, I see something greater coming. Hold on tight and find pleasure in me because that's good for you. Whew. Long before you or I were born, God planned, I got a good plan according to his pleasure to have his son beaten and killed for you and me so that we could have true identity in Christ so that we would bring him glory through our new revealed identity in Christ. That pleased God so that we can have our identity in Christ because that is good for us. As I mentioned, your identity is not in functions or works. Your identity is in Christ because Jesus is God's plan and he secured your citizenship and my citizenship in heaven. You have a passport to glory. You are his ambassadors on earth. We are, did you know in the New Testament we're called not just sons and daughters of God. That's cool. Kings and queens. We are royalty in the family. Did you know that? We are meant to rule with authority in Christ. I mean, you're serious. Kingdom come, is that the next series? I'm sure Pastor Jeff will touch on the whole authority in Christ thing. I'm sure, I'm very, actually, with prayer, I'm sure he's going to touch on that. I haven't heard his message, I haven't seen his notes, but I'm almost positive he's going to touch on your authority in Christ. But you have to know who you are and whose you are to know the authority you have. So, the second point is this, I'm just going to go real quick here. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God. That's what we see in verses 11 and 14. We've got to acknowledge that God is sovereign. He chooses what he chooses, whether or not we pray or not. I just said that. God is sovereign in everything. One of the most difficult things for any human to do or say is, yes, Jesus. Just leave it at that. Yes, Jesus. And this is played out, I would say, in parental and, and teenager life. One of the most difficult things for a teenager to say to their parent is, yes, dad. Yes, mom. It's one of the most difficult things for a teenager to do. 
It's like so hard. Like, I have reasons. I have thoughts. I have emotions. I have things I must express before I say yes. Well, no. First you say yes, and then we'll talk about your stuff. Obey first. And that's how it is for us humans with our Heavenly Father. Yes, God, but I have a few things I want to say really quick before you tell me to do that. I don't want to go to Hawaii. Lord, don't send me to Hawaii. If you, don't, if you say that, he'll probably send you to Hawaii. So pray, Lord, don't send me to Hawaii to serve you. But don't tell him what not to do, otherwise you'll end up there probably. The best and most effective way to discover your revealed identity through understanding God's sovereignty is taking him at his word. That is the Bible. Not a reinterpreted version of the Bible based upon cultural preferences or relevance, but on the concrete reality that God spoke in his word. Do not do this. Do this. There's clarity in God's word. It's us who tries to twist it and make, well, did, like Satan. This is satanic. Okay? I just want to say, did God really say? That's what he said to Adam and even the garden. Did God really? The first, you know when you're on a bad track when you're like, does that passage really mean that? I mean, let's quit. Let's, I, let's just dig in there for a moment. And I'm not talking about the good dig. I'm talking about the, I'm digging for what I want, not for what God wants for me. See, we can't follow that path. And I know you're a church that does not follow that path. You follow God's sovereignty according to his word. And you get to the third point. True identity is found in faith in Jesus, resulting in spiritual authority. And I already talked about that. Paul said it there that you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, as he put his Holy Spirit in you. And I I don't have much time, but my testimony is is one that, um, it's a, it's a, crazy background. All I'll say is this. My mom's with her third husband and, um, you know, it, it, she, it's, it is what it is. I like the guy. Um, but it's a crazy background story. Um, and I, I just don't have time to go into it. I'll just say this. I would not be standing here apart from the grace and the goodness of God. I am a, comp- I am a redeemed project. God was like, mm, let me take some foolish things of the world to confound the wise of the world. Oh, Mike Whitford, yeah. He's so screwed up. I'm going to show people that I'm awesome through him because he's got issues. And I didn't ever take drugs, alcohol. I didn't sleep around with, uh, with people, with ladies or nothing like that. I, I saved myself for marriage. I did the things I was supposed to do. But internally, I was a hot mess. Depression, anxiety, you name it, there were things happening that I could not, it was just the result of the chaos of my own home life and upbringing. And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this guy, I'm going to transform him, and I'm going to confound people. And even when it seems like I shouldn't be where I am, God put, like, what, what do I have doing being in the United States Senate working there and then six months ago inviting a senator that I'm friends with to come to your church? I have no business doing stuff like that. But God is good. We can do that, sure. He's all the time good. Yeah, I know it's, a, it's a good. It's good that you guys do that. I like that reminder. All the time, God is good. But God has been faithful to me, and I want to give him glory because his identity in me through Christ has made me who I am. Every time I try and do something where I'm like, ooh, I'm going to do the Mike Whitford thing, it's like it fails miserably. So I'm just going to be a pastor and preach the word and go where Jesus tells me to go. It's really got to be that simple for me. Because if I try to do it any more and add anything more to it, I lose myself, and, and that's not good. And then I end up in a tailspin of chaos. I don't know what it is like for you. I'd venture to say most of you in this room, especially 
you adults have more confidence than I do on any given day. But one edge that I have is my confidence in my God. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying I do. I know where my confidence is, and it's in Christ because it ain't in me. <laughs> it's not here. I, yeah. Mm. Number four, God gives his identity for his glory, not for our own. I mentioned that already, but it is for the glory of God that he gives us identity in Christ. It's for his glory, which it says in the last part of that scripture in verse 14. So, you got to know whose you are to know who you are, and you are Christ's. There, I answered the question for you. You don't have to go ponder it. Though, if you want to go to the beach and just watch the waves and say, Lord, what does that mean that I'm in Christ? Well, go for that. But I gave you the answer, now you can ponder the answer. What does it mean that I'm in Christ? It's like this. We carry authority in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, which makes us kings and queens like Edmund and Lucy and, and Peter and, and Susan in the Chronicles of Narnia. We are royalty in Christ. I know that, and, and the queen just died, so let me just venture into our, 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 our um, political ancestral plane of Great Britain, so to speak, as far as America is concerned, and, and go there for a moment. I know it goes against our American sensibilities, but the queen is dead. Long live the king, I guess you could say. But in terms of heaven, we, that's what they say. They'll be like, shock. <gasps> it's an English thing. The king is dead. Long live the king. Don't worry. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. The English will be fine. That's what they say. That's what they do. And so uh, as we are sons and daughters, we are kings and queens of the most high God. We are princes and princesses. Know that you walk with authority. You have the signet ring of the king to do the will of the king, his word, his spirit. You are the people of God. Your identity is in Christ, and Jesus gave all. Let us not make waste of the very thing God did. In other words, let us not deny the very essence of who God is in us. When we seek our own destiny and our own pleasure, we are, in essence, in part, denying the reality of Christ in our lives. I'm speaking to myself when I say this. And so as you identify who you are in Christ, and thank you, Rama, for getting this. See, this was, this was Aragorn's signet ring. When Elrond brought Andril, Flame of the West, the reforged sword that once was broken, it was reforged. See, our lives are broken, but then he came and he brought the sword of the king to the king so the king could walk with the authority the king needs. And this was representative of the king's authority in that storyline. You have authority in Christ. I know this is quite threatening. My daughter was like, Dad, you almost poked me with the sword. Watch out, because I was carrying it, trying to be subtle about it. But you carry authority in Christ, and it's for his pleasure, not for your own glory. I, I would imagine warriors in ancient times when they wielded swords, it was not fun, so to speak. Their life could be required of them. But they went with the authority that they had, and they wielded the sword mightily, hopefully for righteousness. See, the word of God spoken is the sword of the Spirit. That's what we're told in Ephesians. That's also in the book that we came out of. The written word is a double-edged sword, discerning truth from lie. And that's why as believers, we must find our identity in Christ. You are Christ. You belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. Your life is a testimony of the goodness of God to all the people around you. When you pray, your prayers influence your sphere of influence, sometimes even nations. But make your prayers oriented toward family, toward friends, and God will answer those prayers. I've seen it happen through prayer and fasting. God answers in the sphere of your influence, your authority that God has given you and your family and your friends, even your atheist friends. 
So I'm going to pray because I think I went a little over here. Sorry, Pastor Jeff, if you're watching online. Oh, he always does. Spoken like a true daughter. <laughs> Love it. Um, but I'm thankful to have been here. But let's pray. And I know that there are communion elements up front here. Um, if you want to spend some time in communion with the Lord during this time, if you want to pray with the prayer team, they will be up here. I'll be up here to pray with you. Maybe you rolled in here today and you're like, I don't know who I am in Christ. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all and you've been struggling just to find faith. Well, we want to pray with you to receive Jesus today. Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins and he is good and he forgives as we confess and follow him faithfully. So Lord, we need you. Your word has been spoken. That's what we've been commanded to do is to preach the word in season and out of season. Be ready to preach the word at all times. All of your servants preach. All of your servants teach in certain ways. And so, God, we ask for your spirit now in this place to work on hearts, to heal, to perfect, to make whole. And I pray that my friends in this room will understand their identity in Christ, that they belong to you, that they're sons and daughters of the Most High. They would walk in the authority that you have given them. No matter what we've seen in our past, God, you've, you've revolutionized it. You've redeemed our past. You've You've made our present secure and you've given us future hope for glory in you, Jesus. So Lord, may we look to, with the eyes like that story my daughter wrote, that God, there will come another sunset, a beautiful sunset where we just get, bask in the glory of God and joy and hope return. I speak that over my friends who need that joy and that hope and that peace in Jesus' name. Have your way in us, God, now minister to needs, we pray, as your name is glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, let's go ahead and stand up. I believe Evan's going to lead us in a song as we close it out in prayer here. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.